you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins and goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light, with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. 
and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. Well, good day, City on Hill. Welcome back. Good to be with you again. And I hope you're holding up okay during what is now, I think, lockdown 6.3. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. It's each and every Sunday, I find, is particularly bittersweet. Bitter that we can't be together in person, but sweet that we still get to focus in on God's Word. And we're going to turn and do that now, and we're going to land the plane on our Exodus series by looking here at Exodus chapter 35. And so would you pray with me first as we prepare our hearts to come before God in His Word? Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you needing a word from you today. Uh, we've walked through Exodus for 19 weeks. And so now would you leave us a word that uh, shakes us, that rattles us, that confirms to us what you've been trying to get into our souls for these 19 weeks. And so give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are receptive to your grace. Make Jesus as big, bold, and as beautiful as he really is and as Exodus shows him to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, as I've just prayed and we've already uh, revealed, today we are in our final episode of our 19-week walkthrough in the book of Exodus. Uh, if you have a favorite moment from these 19 weeks, why not drop us a line in the comments on Facebook of what that favorite moment is. Uh, but this week, we, we come to the sad conclusion. Uh, I'm sure as we prayed earlier in our service about the scenes in Afghanistan, that you've been uh, exposed to those and you've seen some of uh, the terrible things that are happening and the fear that is uh, obvious, uh, even through the camera, uh, of the, what is going on in Afghanistan. Uh, and it seems to be, and quite clear, is a, a kind of a, a military planning and strategy failure. And in Australia, we are actually very well familiar with military failure. Because every year at Anzac Day, we actually rehearse that failure in our collective national conscience. Uh, we remind ourselves of the events of Gallipoli. Uh, Gallipoli was meant to be uh, a quick and effective incursion into Turkey. It turned out to be an eight-month bloodbath of bloodshed and loss. And so every year, our society gets together on that day and we uh, remind ourselves of what happened of the soldiers who courageously gave their lives, of the example of their sacrifice, of what we might be able to learn from them and from that moment. And we recite together what is essentially a prayer, lest we forget. And so the story of the Anzacs has become for us a national family story. And I hope you've seen over the last 19 weeks that the book of Exodus is for Christians our family story. That indeed we see the story retold again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, in the Psalms, and then even in the New Testament, Exodus is still an example for us. In fact, 
the Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians exactly that. He says about the events of the Exodus. Now, these things took place as examples for us. And so the Exodus, the, these events that we've been recounting some, some three and a half thousand years ago, they're actually so formative for us that they are crucial to understanding our lives three and a half thousand years later. That they stand as examples for you and me. Now, as we live even in 21st century Australia. And so it would be true for us to consider each and every time that the reason we want to turn back to the Old Testament, the reason we want to turn back to Exodus is lest we forget. And so today, in order that we don't forget, we are going to wrap things up by looking at the final episode of Exodus and yet do it a little bit like the final episode of Friends or the final episode of Seinfeld. And that is by, yes, certainly bringing to a conclusion the narrative that has been playing out for weeks and weeks now, but also recapping the whole journey along the way. And so we're going to look first at Exodus 35, but through it, it's going to point us to some of the big ideas that have been coming to us again and again through the pages of Exodus. And so I've got three particular uh, ideas or headings for our uh, talk today. Uh, the first of which we're going to find in Exodus 35. So turn with me right there. And while you are turning there, just to catch you up, you might remember that last week we looked at Exodus 33 and 34. And there we saw uh, Moses, the middleman, enter into God's presence and intercede for his people after they failed by building themselves a golden calf in their idolatry. And so God had turned their, his back on them, saying that he was no longer going to go with them anymore. They were going to go to the promised land by themselves led by an angel. And so Moses pled with God that, no, in fact, we are your people. We need you. How can we be your people unless you go with us? And God, as he always is, was more than eager to forgive, to restore and to show himself to Moses and then to his people through him. And so Moses came down the mountain with a a new set of tablets, a new freshly written Ten Commandments, And so the covenant was renewed again. The initial terms would be set in place. And it's as if we could cut out Exodus 32, 33, 34 and pick up in Exodus 35 where we actually left in Exodus 31. That 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 moment of failure and then restoration has gotten in the way of what was being planned as this new nation was being built around God and His law. And so we turn now to Exodus 35 And we turn back, actually, to the tabernacle. And so let's look first at God moving in to the neighborhood. It's curious that these final chapters of Exodus, they actually seem pretty repetitive to what was written in Exodus 25, 26, and 27. There we had the tabernacle introduced to us. And we found that the tabernacle was the sanctuary of God's holiness. That some of the fittings that that God uh, commanded be brought to construct the tabernacle were actually like royal fittings, making this like the throne room of a king. And importantly, the tabernacle would be the home of God amongst his people. And so now in Exodus 35, as we turn back to it, we're reassured that actually that reconciliation has taken place. God actually has turned back to his people and he now wants to come and dwell with them again. And so what earlier was just instructions about the tabernacle now becomes the construction of that tabernacle. And one of the clearest things that we notice in this chapter is that this construction work would be a community project. 
Read with me uh, in verse 4 of chapter 35. Moses said to all the congregation and the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever, whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And so everyone is being asked now to gather what they can and contribute toward this building project, building God's home, the tabernacle. And the details, to be sure, that make up the tabernacle are important. But the building of the tabernacle is not so much about the tabernacle itself, but about the reality that God is now again able to dwell safely with his people. God's glory that we saw last week, Moses had to shield himself, hide himself in a rock from it, is now going to come and actually dwell again with these people. God is coming home into the neighborhood of Israel. You might remember a few weeks ago when we looked first at the tabernacle that this moment and and the tabernacle itself is, is an important prototype for what God would later do in sending Jesus for us. John's gospel brings this out very clearly. He says in John chapter 1, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And that word dwelt in the Greek is is trying to get or convey the the imagery of of Jesus coming and pitch a tent in the world. Jesus coming and, and tabernacling amongst us. That he moved into our world, bringing God's glory into the darkness of our world that he might shine. And now ordinarily, we we might make that connection and think, hey, that's awesome. Isn't it incredible that the tabernacle is fulfilled in Jesus? And certainly it is fulfilled in Jesus. But what Exodus 35 points out again and again is just how in the midst of building this tabernacle for the very first time, how crucial the contributions of the people were. Notice later in in verse 21 and 22 of chapter 35, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And so Moses really wants us to see how wholehearted the people were, how their spirits had been changed and and moved toward helping God move in to the neighborhood. This keeps on going later in the chapter in verse 26 and 29. And it gets to the point in chapter 36 where the guys who are actually building the tabernacle say, hey, hey, Moses, we're going to talk. We've got too much here. Can you tell the people to stop bringing things? We have too many materials now. And so the hearts of these people are changing as they're contributing to God's work. And that posture that we see exemplified here in the end of Exodus actually becomes a call for us because the tabernacle isn't only pointing forward to be fulfilled in Jesus. There's a sense in which the tabernacle is also fulfilled in us. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says to a church that isn't acting at all like a church, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. And he tells the church in Ephesus, in him, that's Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. 
And so just as God moved into uh, Israel in the tabernacle and then he moved into the world in Jesus, so God now dwells in the world in a church. Just as Israel was called to contribute to, to the tabernacle, so too we can contribute to God's building work in the world through our contributions as part of his church. And so this chapter challenges us. If Israel could receive that grace of, of reconciliation, reconciliation of, of being restored to God and having him come amongst their midst, where are our own hearts at in contributing to God's work in the world? Like them, are, are our hearts stirring us? Do we have willing hearts that we might take what God has given us and use it to see his presence and his promises go forth in the world. You see, the vision of the Bible for churches like ours is that we would be together building something, building something, that, that a rich community life, a generous spirit towards the stranger, upholding courageous convictions about the truth, a radical culture of grace together. And when we build a church like that, when we build those churches in our neighborhoods, God himself moves into the neighborhood. And that kind of church starts with each one of us. Because just as Jesus, and then just as the church fulfills this vision of the tabernacle, so too the Bible even goes further to say that in some sense, you and I personally carry around us tabernacle-like-esque dwellings of the Spirit of God in the world. Paul tells the Corinthians that they have bodies that are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a sense in which in, in what you and I do with ourselves, with our bodies, it matters because God has made us, including our bodies, His own. And so how you and I live, our, our personal holiness, our love of our neighbours, our sexual ethics, we carry in ourselves the presence of God in the world. And so Exodus ends in these final chapters. The next five chapters, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, they're, they're all about this, the, the, the tabernacle being formed and constructed and instituted as God moves in. And Exodus ends with this, this hopeful picture that, that God indeed is setting up a people, that God indeed is a, a, a part of them. He's, he is dwelling in their midst. And so we leave and we turn uh, the, the last page of Exodus with, with hope that these guys are going to be who they're called to be, a kingdom of priests, a treasured possession. They're going to shine their light out into the world. This is going to be awesome. And yet, if we read a little bit further in the Old Testament, we, we know that it doesn't actually pan out how it looks. And that brings us to one of two big takeaways from the book of Exodus that summarized its entire message. First, let's look at the problem Exodus proves. The problem Exodus proves. Because if the story of Exodus is our own family story as Christians today, it is no surprise that actually we find and face the same problems that the Israelites did three and a half thousand years ago. That if you and I are called to actually embody God's presence in the world, if you and I are called to, to live lives of holiness, to live lives of, of devoted worship to God as His treasured possession, as people who have been made His 
own doesn't our own experience tell us how often we fall and fail to be who God has called us to be. So you and I have a problem. Just last week, uh, our five-year-old Axel uh, came home from kinder with a letter. And it was a letter telling us that this coming week, uh, he was going to have to come to kinder dressed as his favorite character from a book. This is right. We were going to have our very first, which is a huge initiation for our parent, a very first book week experience. And so after a few seconds of deliberation, uh, Axel, after having what was on the letter explained to him, he chose his character. He was going to come as Mr. Tickle. Big, fat, orange, very long-armed Mr. Tickle. And so on Friday, the day before we found out that actually Kinder this week wasn't going to happen because of uh, the lockdown, uh, we got to making a Mr. Tickle costume. To clarify, I got to make a Mr. Tickle costume. And so I cut out two circles uh, from boxes that we had left over. Uh, I blended our red paint with our yellow paint to make a a gloriously Mr. Tickle-like orange paint. Then I got to painting and I'm uh, lying on on the lounge floor painting the cardboard, making it look perfect, double coating the paint because you want this to look particularly bright. Uh, And Axel is sitting next to me. And at one point he says to me, Dad, can I do it? Can I, can I help? And I'm like, dude, maybe you better go and play with your sister. You know, we've got to be careful with this creation here. We've got to look after this. You know, we want, we want you to step into that, that, that classroom or that, that kinder room looking just like Mr. Tickle. This better look as good as possible. And I realized that what I'd actually done is, is taken this, this activity, which was, you know, homework for him, which was meant to be about his development and his, his, his enjoyment. And I'd actually taken the purpose of that and I'd bent it toward my own ends. And I'd started using it and being really precious about it and how it looked. And that's the problem that I have. I took the project and I made it my own. I ignored its purpose and made it about me. And I do that all the time. And you do that all the time. We do that all the time. It is the problem that we have. Because you and I were made for a purpose. We are called to trust in the promises and express the presence of God in the world, personally and collectively. But our hearts are enslaved. They are turned inward. And so we take that mission God has for us. We take that project God gives us. We take the reason for which we were created and made and we actually turn our life to be about ourselves. We turn that purpose to be about ourselves. We turn that project to be all about our own ends. And we've seen that through the whole book of Exodus. That having been saved from the chains of Egypt, it wasn't long before the Israelites turned back and started missing the food that they had in Egypt. Having been freed from slavery, ridiculously it seems, they actually turned around and started missing the job security of their lifelong slavery. Having been brought to the foot of Mount Sinai, God's mountain, God's presence and being given the law, Israel quickly forgot about the law and built a statue that they could worship in Yahweh's place. And so Israel started the book crying out for freedom from their oppressors and yet they were free from their oppressors and yet discovered along the way the greatest oppressor wasn't out there but in here. Not external but internal. Over and over again, Israel embody what is the perpetual problem of all of humanity, that we have hearts that do spiritual gymnastics to put ourselves in first place. And that is a problem 
Because as we've seen, while we do this, God doesn't have hearts like us. While we are unholy, God is holy. He is righteous and he is powerful. And so when people like us come before a God like that, there's a problem. We rightly face judgment. And that's what happens when we see the people that we've journeyed with in Exodus come before God himself. It took 10 plagues to free Israel from Egypt. It took 10 commandments to free Israel from their idolatry. And yet still, this generation we're reading about in Exodus, in future chapters, in future books of the Old Testament, we're going to see that they actually don't reach the promised land. This generation dies away in judgment because of their unbelief, their selfishness, and their sinfulness. And so the yearning of the book of Exodus is that we need help. We need a saviour. We need a a better mediator. That certainly they were led by Moses and and Moses can ascend the, the mountain and speak on the people's behalf. And Moses can come down the mountain and deliver God's word and God's law to his people. That Moses can enter in and out of God's presence, shining his presence back onto the people. But Moses himself would join this generation in dying before he got to the promised land because of his own sinfulness and unbelief. And so we all have a problem that we can't measure up. God has moved into the neighborhood, yes, but we have no right to enter into his home. We can't even approach the front door and approach him ourselves. And so this is the problem that that Exodus points out for us, that Exodus proves is true even in our own experience. So we need a solution to our problem. But the same book of Exodus helps us find that solution. And so let's talk finally for the final point of our Exodus series, the solution that Exodus points to. Exodus shows us that that we need hearts that are purer than those that the law exposes in us. We need a, a leader better than the Moses who was leading the Israelites, a leader who will never fail. We need a mediator who will more perfectly represent us before a holy God. It's fitting then that 1,500 years later, as the biographers of Jesus were writing what would be passed down through the apostles to us, they are at pains to show us that Jesus is the one who would fulfill the Exodus. Like Israel at the beginning of this book, who have to be kind of born in danger, born under the threat of death from Pharaoh. Jesus himself was born in danger, born under the threat of death from Herod. As Israel was forced to do through drought and flee to Egypt, Jesus himself was forced to do because of that danger and flee to Egypt himself. As Israel would experience a a tempting and trying 40 years in the wilderness, Before coming to the promised land, Jesus experiences 40 days and 40 nights of temptation before beginning his ministry. As Israel heard the law come through Moses, we read of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, exposing the heart of that law and exposing our own fallenness through it. As Israel had manna provided for them in the wilderness, Jesus takes five loaves and two bread and provides manna for 5,000. And after it says, hey, actually, The true and better manner is here 
and it's Jesus himself, the bread from heaven. As Israel was structured and formed around 12 tribes, Jesus recruits 12 apostles to serve as the foundation of his new people. As Moses would ascend the mountain and come back with instructions about sacrifice and offerings, we read of Jesus ascending the mountain to be the sacrifice himself and to offer himself in our place for our sin. As Israel shared a life-saving meal of the sacrificial lamb in the Passover, Jesus gives us a better meal of his own body and blood by becoming the sacrificial lamb for us. And so the book of Exodus from beginning to end is revealing, yes, a, a problem that we all have, that we are sinners who stand before a holy God. But the book of Exodus also from beginning to end reveals to us the solution to the problem that it exposes. It has been pointing us for us 19 weeks to the life and death of Jesus. The book of Exodus is all about Jesus. And this is what I want to leave this series with you not forgetting, lest we forget with this resonating in our minds and in our hearts. So we are shaped in our world into believing that the most important things in our lives are the things that we accomplish and the things that we accrue. But Exodus has very little to say about your financial success or your romantic life or your resume or how thriving your social life is. And that's because at the end of your life, you're not going to bring before God anything that you have done or haven't done. I love how theologian Don Carson pitches our assurance based in Exodus. He does a thought experiment. Imagine with me, picture with me, the two Israelites on the, the day before the, the Passover evening. And they're out in the, the fields of, of Goshen having a conversation. And one of those Israelites says to the other man, hey, you, you like, you, you're pretty nervous about what's going to happen tonight? You know, it sounds pretty scary. And the other replies, nervous? Man, why do we need to be nervous? Man, you know, Moses has, has delivered to us the promises of God. He's told us what to do. You know, haven't, haven't you slaughtered the lamb and put the blood over the, the doorposts of your house? You've told all your family they need to be there, right? You need to eat the family meal, eat the Passover lamb together. You've prepared the sacrificial lamb, right? You've done it all, yeah? You're all good. If you've done it all, as Moses has said, you're going to be good. And the guy who originally asked the question says, yeah, but, you know, like, it's still pretty scary. I mean, think about the things that we've seen recently. We've seen gnats and flies and rivers turn to blood and we've seen frogs and all these kind of plagues come over. And now we're talking about the death of the firstborn son. I mean, it's all right for you, mate. I mean, you've got three sons. If you lose one, it's not a big deal. I've only have one son. And we've been told that the angel of death is going to pass through tonight. I've got to admit, I'm freaking out a little bit about what this is going to involve. And the other responds, no, bring it on. I trust fully in the promises of God. And so that night, the, the angel of death sweeps through the land. Now think with me, which, which one of those two will have lost his son? The answer is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the ground of their certainty, on the ground of their intensity or clarity of their faith. No, death passes over them on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. And so what is going to happen when we come before this holy God? We are not going to be able to 
point to anything we have done or haven't done, the only basis for our standing before this holy God, the God of Exodus, is the blood of the Lamb. Is that there is someone else who has taken our place. There is someone else whose blood has been shed for us. And so what are you going to say when you meet this God as the Israelites did? And you say, oh God, you know, I, you know that I tried hard. You know, I had a few years there where I kind of, you know, failed a little bit more than I did at other times. But, you know, compared to the people around me, I did pretty well. You know, I was, I was fairly morally upright family man. I'm, I'm okay. No, we have no other plea but that Christ Jesus has died and that he died for me. And this is what Exodus is telling us. Our only hope against the slavery within us and therefore the judgment that is coming for us is Christ. But because we have Christ, that because Christ has come as the true and better Moses, because Christ has come as the true and better sacrificial lamb, because Christ has come as the true and better mediator who can stand before us and with us before this God. Yes, we have only one hope in him, but we have a sure and steady and perfect hope, a savior who will surely set us free and save us. Hebrews 3 in the New Testament, compares Moses to Christ. It says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You know, Jesus is the one in whom we can have confidence the one in whom we can have hope. And so in Jesus, these final chapters of Exodus come to us in fullest color. See, God doesn't just move into the neighborhood, but in Jesus, we get to enter into God's house. God isn't just around us, isn't just kind of over there near us, and we can't get close to Him as it was in the Exodus, God has opened wide his doors. In Jesus, God has come and dwelt among us, but also invited us in as his own sons and daughters to sit at the family table, to share in the family meal, and to make this the story of Exodus, our family story. This is our family story and it is a story that it is fitting that the head of our family would be at the center of it. Jesus is at the center of the book of Exodus and so in him God now dwells with us for good. In him God now dwells with you and in him we can have certainty that one day and forever we are going to go and dwell with him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the book of Exodus. We thank you that through its pictures, through its narrative, through its law, through the story that you are telling us in the book of Exodus, you are reminding us of our own story. A story marked by slavery, a story marked by sinfulness and selfishness, 
and yet a story marked by a saviour, Jesus, who overwhelms all that darkness, who overwhelms all the ways we shape the story to our own ends and instead comes and puts our sin away, puts our selfishness away, puts our slavery away and instead welcomes us as sons and daughters into your house. And so, Lord, would you come and move into our neighborhood, into the neighborhood of our hearts, move into the neighborhood of our church, move into our lives in a new and profound way as we see Jesus at the center of this story, but also our own. Lord, come and be at the center of the story of our lives. Come and shape our lives around who you are. And may you implant in us such confidence and such hope and such faith that when we come and stand before you, when we meet you face to face, it's not going to be a scary proposition like it was in Exodus, but rather we're going to come home and enter in to the family home and sit at the family table and talk and commune with our loving Heavenly Father. And so we thank you for Jesus who makes all this possible. Make our lives marked by these realities and by him at the head of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.